you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I'll tell you a funny thing about uh, the passage today. Many of you, I, 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 I had an article that was able to, able to have published, honored to have published by uh, Nine Marks this past week. And in that article, I quote from the passage that I'm reading this morning. And in that article, I talk about what I'm talking about in this exact series. But I wrote the article back in August and had no idea when it was going to be published. And it just so happened to be published this week. The providence of God. Amen. Meticulous, meticulous kindness of God. uh, Matthew chapter 13, we'll read verses 31 through 33 together. It says, He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Let's pray to the Lord together. Heavenly Father, what a joy it is to look back on this side of the cross and the resurrection and to see how the kingdom of heaven was begun and how it has spread and is compounding as we look forward to the day in which it will be fully consummated. And Father, I pray for us now, 2,000 years after the resurrection of Christ, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that you would unify us with your Holy Spirit, and that you would compel us with your Holy Spirit to take up our role in your expanding kingdom in this day. Father, it is no accident that we are where we are, that we were born where we were born, and that we have received the gospel that we have received. And so, Father, in the era that we live, in the area in which we live, and with the gospel for which you have called us forward, I pray, Father, that we would be found faithful in your sight. God, use us to accomplish your glorious work. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. On February the 19th, 1519, Hernan Cortez, who was a conquistador and a horrible, horrible man, deplorable man, set sail from what was Spanish-occupied Cuba in view of Mexico. When he arrived in Mexico, he expected that he would be able to take them by storm, to Christianize them, and then to be able to loot them and take all the gold for Spain and solidify his own glory. Instead, he took 11 ships and he, and he had uh, 110 sailors and he had 15 horses and he had 583 soldiers and they landed on the shores of what they didn't realize was the Aztec Empire. And quickly he realized and his men realized that they were outnumbered some 7,500 warriors to one. And that Moctezuma was no easy doormat that they were just going to traipse. Well, he had went and led the expedition really in a mutiny against Cuba. And there was division between Cortez and the governor of, of uh, the Spanish governor of Cuba. And there were some of his men that were more loyal to the governor of Cuba than they were to him. And he began to recognize that they felt so overwhelmed and were, were terrified by the sight that was in front of them that many of them were organizing to be able to go home. Well, wind of this reaches Cortez. 
And so he sends those soldiers that are loyal to him into the harbor. And he has them burn all of the boats. And he says, it's going to be sink or swim, live or die, glory or grave. There's a story similar to that in the Bible, actually. In uh, 2 Kings, it talks about Elijah coming to bring the call of God to Elisha, who would be his successor. And when he comes and he calls Elisha, Elisha into the ministry, Elisha is there and he's plowing with a plow and an ox. Upon the call of God, Elisha takes and he sets his plow on fire and he slaughters his ox and he grills the ox over the burning plow. That for Elisha, when the call of God came, there was no turning back. When the call of God came to be a prophet, there was no other call upon his life. He was not going to return to the field. He was not going to return to the plow and he was not going to need that ox. For me, that's what this series is. It's a burning of the boats. It's a burning of the plow. It's a burning of all plan B's. For our elders, as we've prayed and sought the Lord together, what we've said is, let's get rid of all exit strategies. Let's burn every boat so that it is right here among these people in this body that our staff is resolute that we intend to plan our lives. That our elders are intent that here among the people at Iron City, we are going to lay down our lives for the good of the body, for the glory of Christ, and for the expansion of the kingdom. Henry Blackaby, in Experiencing God, he says that what you need to do is you need to find where it is that God is at work. And when you find where God is at work, go there and join him in it. We feel certain that God is at work right here through people like Michael, through families like yours, through families who haven't even heard the good news yet. We are convinced that right here in the Chia Valley, specifically among the people of Iron City Baptist Church, that God is at work and we are ready, we are ready more than ever to lock arms together for the long haul and to plant our lives and to see what God might do. The purpose of the series, the second quarter, is really three-dimensional. First, it is for me and the elders to say to you, we are committed. We are committed. I told you last week, if, if God calls, if God calls, we do what God says to do. But we feel quite certain, and it is every intention of our souls, that this is where we're going to be, not just for the last decade, not just for tomorrow, but for the decades ahead. We are praying for a 40-year ministry here at Iron City together. The second dimension is that we want to be able to come and say, okay, we've sailed off the map. We're we going to submit our plans to God, to, to the Lord. We're going to say, Lord willing, you do what, what, you're gonna, what you want to do. But we're, we want to have a map. And so it's to come to you and to present to you some form of a map of where we intend to go, where we hope to go, what we, what we believe is stirred in our hearts by the Holy Spirit to move forward. And the third dimension is to ask you to join in this, in this with us, to burn your boats too. To have a congregation of people that says, I'm not going to church, church hop. I'm not going to look for something when, when things don't just go my way. I'm not, I'm not going to find preferences. I'm not going to be led by emotions. I'm going to plant my life with a group of people for the glory of God. And I'm going to see what it would be like to have long-term fruit and to hand this thing over to the next generation. That I'm going to plant my life and invest my life to see what God can do here in the Chiha Valley and to the ends of the earth together. So it's us burning our boats. And it's us inviting you, inviting you. And, 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 and I know that's a big ask. I know that's a big ask. But inviting you to burn yours too. 
to burn your plow, cook your ox, and join us in the work. This morning, I wanted to, last week I, I told you that, oh, there's my picture of Cortez I forgot to show you. Uh, last week I, I, I shared with you the way I, I really foresaw the four decades, if we, God allows a 40-year ministry, that we're really just entering into the second quarter and that the first quarter was really foundational. Where we're shaping this gospel-centered, God-centered culture. Well, as we move into the second, in the, into the second quarter, the way we see this is as a culture, as a quarter of expansion. An opportunity for us to pursue God-sized initiatives for substantial kingdom growth together that we could, lay, having laid the foundation, now build upon it and then be able to make it healthy and innovative and proper as we hand it off in succession to the next generation. And so what I'm going to do this week is I want to stay kind of big picture this week. And, and I want to hopefully give you at least a theology of this expansive idea. And I want you to see where I'm getting this from the scriptures. And I want you to see why I think it's specific to our area and how it applies specifically to us. And the next Sunday, I'm going to get more into the weeds. And I'm going to say, all right, this is how I expect this will actually play out. And how I think this is actually going to look. And I'm going to look at three primary areas of expansion in the life of our church over the next decade. But to do this, I want us to go to Matthew chapter 13. And first, I want us to see four qualities of the kingdom of heaven. Four qualities of the kingdom of heaven. The first quality that I want you to see is that the kingdom doesn't look like much. The kingdom doesn't look like much. You'll notice there in verse 31 that Jesus starts, he says, put up another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. And it is the smallest of all the seeds. That is, when you look at a mustard seed, it doesn't look like it's capable of producing very much at all. It doesn't look like it, it contains within itself the ability to accomplish much. He tells another parable that's really a parallel parable with the parable of the mustard seed. And he says that the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. And a woman takes it and she hides it in three measures of flour. He says, well, if that's not clear enough for you, then the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. It's like a little bit of yeast that you take and you, you, you're able to go and plant it and bury it in a bunch of flour so that you don't even know that it's there and you can't see it anymore, that it seems like it doesn't matter very much. The, the seed doesn't seem capable of much, and the leaven doesn't seem like it matters very much. And Jesus says the, king of the kingdom of heaven is just like this. See, he was correcting, again, for his disciples. The disciples, they thought that the kingdom of heaven ought to look like much. They thought that the ministry and the rule of Christ as the Messiah ought to look like much. It ought to be impressive. As a matter of fact, it's really funny if you slow down and think about it. Throughout the Gospels, all the time, the disciples interrupt Jesus and say, Okay, is today when we take over the world? Is it today when we get to be great? Is it today that we're going to overthrow Rome and be able to traipse on all their graves? Is it today? And constantly Jesus is resetting and recalibrating their values. Constantly, Jesus is going back to them and he's saying, no, the, the, my kingdom is not of this world. No, my kingdom doesn't look anything like what you're expecting. No, my kingdom, in fact, will not look impressive at all, at least for now. See, the kingdoms of earth, the kingdom of Cortez and the conquistadors, they're spread by, they're spread by killing and by conquest. But the kingdom of Christ is spread through dying. 
that Christ will go and he will ascend the throne. And after him, his disciples will take up their crosses and they will follow him. And generation after generation after generation, we come and we die to ourselves and we take up our crosses and we follow after Christ. And it is through this that the kingdom of Christ comes into being and expands to the nations. It doesn't look like much. In fact, this is one of the main problems that our world has with Christianity. They come and they look at it and they say, that's a hard sell. Seems like a lot of sacrifice. Seems like a lot of self-giving. Seems like a lot of hard living. Seems like a really high cost. What good is the forgiveness of my sins if it costs me my life? What good is that? Who wants to live a miserable life like that? But you see, that's when you see the kingdom of heaven without the eyes of faith. The seed isn't impressive. The seed that you see in the here and now doesn't look like much. But the fruit is a triumphant kingdom. The fruit is an eternal kingdom. And so this morning I ask you, will you look forward to the, with the eyes of faith to the eternal kingdom so that we can take our little lives and our little area of the kingdom that doesn't look like much and invest it with a kingdom perspective of what God might do. It doesn't look like much as a quality of the kingdom. Secondly, the kingdom doesn't depend on sowers. The kingdom doesn't depend on sowers. You'll notice that he doesn't really place any emphasis at all on the person that plants the seed. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of a mustard seed, he says. Then in verse 33, he says the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. He doesn't say that it's like a whole bunch of really effective farmers. He doesn't say it's like a, a, a bunch of really, really skilled bakers. He said, no, the kingdom of heaven is about the seed. The kingdom of heaven is about the leaven. And this is a really good corrective for us who are living in the 21st century church. We live in a time of, of Christian celebrity. And we think that if you want to be a part of a great work of God, if you want to be a part of a great church of God, if you want to be a part of a church that, where God is saving people and lives are being transformed, then you've got to be a part of a church where, where the leaders are, are winsome and have incandescent personalities and are filled with charm and with humor. You've got to have leaders who are on the forefront of innovation and leadership theory. You, you've got to be able to, to be filled with resources and brilliance. You've got to be able to compete in the marketplace of, of multi-dimensional uh, advertising. Jesus says, no, you've got to have the right seed. You've got to have the right seed. You see, you can take the best farmer in the world. That helps. It's good to have a good farmer. You can take a farmer that knows more about farming than anyone else can know. And it doesn't matter how green his John Deere is or how orange his Kubota is if he's sowing bad seed. Now, Jesus says that the emphasis isn't on the sower the emphasis is on the seed. In fact, this is a particularly potent seed. It's the smallest of all seeds. It doesn't look like much. But then when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants. It becomes a tree, even an ecosystem where the birds are able to go and dwell and live. He says that the, the leaven, it doesn't look like much. And then it spreads throughout all the flour until all is leavened. It doesn't look like much, but it's potent and it's powerful. So it doesn't really matter on the baker and it doesn't really matter on the farmer. It matters about the potency of the seed and the potency of the yeast. That's good news for us, y'all. That's good news for us. That the effectiveness of the kingdom isn't dependent upon my brilliance or yours. It's not dependent upon my charm or yours. 
In fact, it's often our brilliance and our charm that get in the way of our faithfulness. Now, what God requires from us is not great ability. What God requires of us is availability, that we would go and to sow the seed that he has given to us faithfully among this generation with the people that we work, with the kids that we raise, in the places that we go, in all of our spheres of influence, that we would live on mission for him as sowers of a seed that greatly transcends our ability to sow it. The kingdom of heaven doesn't depend on the sowers. And the kingdom doesn't bloom quickly. You know, I, I put a picture here. I think this will be helpful. All right, so this shows you what a mustard seed looks like, and this shows you something of what a mustard tree, tree would look like. And we ought to stop for just a second and ask, what's the difference between the seed and the tree? What's the difference between the seed and the tree? Time, right? Time. How many years have to pass before the seed is transformed into the tree? How much kneading is required before the leaven is able to go and to permeate the entire lump? It takes time. And so again, here is Jesus correcting and calibrating the views and the perspectives of his disciples. They're like us. They want an Instapot kingdom with an Instapot savior living in an Instapot world. We are, if nothing else, in, impatient Westerners who think we ought to have what we want and we ought to have it right now, today. But you see, to appreciate the full glory of the kingdom, what you have to recognize is that it's going to take a long time until it comes into full bloom. Oh, that's coming. Christ is going to return. The kingdom is going to be consummated. And all of us are going to be answerable to him on that day. But it's going to be a lot slower coming than what we expect. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a lot slower than what we want. Peter tells us that our concept of time and God's concept of time are quite different. That to God, a, a, thousand, day, a thousand years is but a day like it is for us. And we know that even that is just hyperbole, trying to take what is eternal to fit inside of that which is finite. These little minds of ours. That it's going to take what most of us don't have a lot of. Time, patience, longevity, a commitment. That's why going from church to church and place to place doesn't allow you to see the fullness of the kingdom like you're able to see it. That's why it's worth it to plant your life in a place. This came up in our, our elders meeting actually a couple of weeks ago when we were, we were talking about all of these things. Alan made the point, you know, that 10 or 11 years ago uh, that going through a kind of a difficult season as a church, we, we, we outlined a lot of that last week. That God sent some people, even 10 or 11 years ago, Joel and Dan Fisher and, and, and a number of other folks, to, to work in the life of our church to prepare us to have some different conversations, to begin to move toward a healthier foundation. But y'all, we can go back a lot further than that. We can go back a lot further than that. Our church has been here since a cold November in 1887. Over the 136-year history of our church, there has been a slow work of the gospel that has not fully culminated even yet. We can go we can think of, of Noel Deere and Todd Borders, who were my pastor and my youth pastor, and the impact they've had on me and on countless others. Russ Donahoe, who I still, he was our worship pastor. I still have frequent conversations with him and stay in contact. John does 
as well. We could talk about Gary Cockrell and Donald Edwards, both of whom were some of your youth pastors when you were growing up. Uh, we could talk about Mildred Johns and Edwin and Ethelyn Lester. And we could talk about Joyce Vaughn. And we could, we could talk about uh, uh, Frank Mitchell. And we could talk about Joe Brown. And we could keep going back generation after generation, 136 years. And we can say they could have never imagined what the impact of their works were going to be. They could have never seen how it was going to happen. But I'm sure there were many days where it felt like it was pointless. See, that's, that's why I want to burn the boats. That, that's why our staff is committed to being here and to burning the boats. That's why we want you to burn the boats. Because we want to see the glory of the long-term fruit. We want to see what it's like when the kids in the nursery grow up and become men and women of God. We want to see that. We want to see what it's like when God takes a place here in rural Alabama and does exceedingly more. We're going to talk more about this in a minute. Exceedingly more than what we could have ever hoped for. We want to live to see that. We want to see what it's like when a group of people go all in and say, I am committed to time, patience, and longevity because that's the nature of the kingdom. That's the nature of the kingdom. Finally, I want you to see a culminating value or quality of the kingdom that the kingdom doesn't stop expanding. The kingdom doesn't stop expanding. So you have this little bitty, doesn't look like much seed, and you plant it. And you plant it, and you plant it with people that don't look very impressive. This ragtag group of disciples. I mean, Jesus' disciples weren't very impressive. One of them defects. But if you keep going after that crew, I don't think it gets much better with us. Do, do y'all? I mean, it just keeps getting. So Jesus takes this ragtag group of disciples and this little bitty potent seed of the gospel. And over the generation, one generation hands it to the next. One generation proclaims the gospel to the next. How beautiful are the hands and feet that go and to share the good news. And over enough time... What he says takes place is that the small seed becomes larger than all the garden plants. That the leaven sprays until all is leavened. In other words, the way that the mustard tree is able to perpetuate itself is the seed turns into a tree with enough time. And with enough time, the tree begins to bloom. And when it blooms, it produces more mustard seed. And so that one seed turns into a tree. That one tree turns into a multiplicity of seeds. And all of those seeds turn into new trees. And so it multiplies and expands. Leaven is th- works in the same way. Leaven comes and you take a little bit from the previous day's loaf and you hold it over. In those days, they didn't have preservatives. They made the bread every single morning. They take the, a little bit from this morning and they save it for ne- the next morning. They take it and they place it in the new loaf of bread or the new flour. They leaven it. They make it. It goes forward and forward so that there's an unbroken chain so that it c- continues forward. That, that little bit of leaven that is saved one time turns into bread, sustenance, and provision for a lifetime for families of people that are to come and the kingdom is like that that the kingdom spreads and the kingdom multiplies and it starts as with a group of people that don't seem very impressive it starts with a gospel that doesn't look like much and it spreads over enough time so that it is perpetuated and multiplied one generation forward to the next to the next to the next so that even today we are experiencing a global revival in the southern hemisphere of Christianity. And this is where I want us to begin to pivot. This is where I want us to begin to pivot. Having seen these four qualities of the kingdom, what I want us to say, see, is that these four qualities of the kingdom have specific things to say to us in our current context at Iron City specifically. And so I want to make three observations about our church right here, right now, in light of these four qualities of the kingdom. 
And so first, build on that last point that we are part of an expanding kingdom. Uh, that the picture that you see there, that's actually Jeffrey, Pastor Jeffrey's church in Swaziland, in part of that revival I'm talking about in the southern hemisphere of the world. And it is a, a picture of what God can take with a group of people right here partnering with Christians around the world and the impact that we are able to have. You see, the global church, the global church is an expression of the eternal kingdom. The, the eternal kingdom is more than the global church. It's, we don't see the eternal kingdom in its fullness in the global church. But it is a visible expression that allows us to begin in the here and now glimpsing what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. That when we get to know brothers and sisters right here and around the world, what we're able to see is that they have a view of justice and of loving their neighbor and of loving their God that is different than what the world has. And they have an approach to life that is different than what the world has. They have a value system that is different than what the world has. Well, you have the global kingdom is an expression of the eternal kingdom. Of the global church is an expression of the eternal kingdom. Well, then you have local churches like us. And local churches like us are embassies of the global, of the global church. That we are, in other words, a local outpost right here in the Chiha Valley where the values of the kingdom, where the love of neighbor, the love of Christ, the, the dying to self, the, the flipping, the opposite way of living, contentment, the lack of materialism, all of these things are supposed to, supposed to permeate us in the here and now so that the other people in our community and the other people that get to know us and meet us, other people that might even come in and walk into our doors at this church on any given Sunday are able to come and say, that's what a glimpse of what the kingdom's going to be like. That's a glimpse of what it's going to be like to be with Christ forever. That kind of hospitality. That kind of kindness, that kind of generosity, that kind of passion, that kind of patience, that kind of commitment, that kind of warmth. That we are to be ambassadors of Christ in an embassy of the kingdom right here, characterizing what the kingdom is going to look like in a visible form. Well, we've already learned that one of the ways, one of the qualities of this kingdom that we ought to be characterizing is that this kingdom is an expanding kingdom. That this kingdom is an expanding kingdom. That we ought to be busy about the work of expanding the kingdom. That we ought to be committed on helping take to a world that is filled with sin, the remedy for sin. The forgiveness of sin. A world that is filled with disorder, how they might flourish in the midst of all the disorder. A world that is filled with brokenness, how they might find wholeness in Christ. A world that is striving and trying to build up their reputation, how they can rest in the finished work of Christ. We are ambassadors of that message in the here and now, and it is our responsibility to spread it and to be an expanding mechanism as the outpost of the kingdom right here, right now, to the ends of the earth. And so the question becomes, as we understand and make, begin to making these observations about Iron City, that we are in fact a part of this kingdom, is will we take up our place in it? Will we take up our place in this expanding kingdom? Maybe you would say, but I, I struggle to live this out myself. Of course you do. It doesn't look like much, but it's not dependent on, on the sowers. Maybe you would say, but we're in a forgotten, obscure place in the world. Of course we are. This is where God does his greatest work. Maybe you would say that, that we don't have the ability and we don't have the know-how to be able to do the things that you're talking. Of course we don't, but it's not dependent upon us. We have a spirit-given, spirit-empowered, gospel, good news message for our community. And we have been given the responsibility to go out and to sow the seed, not to create the seed. We are an expanding kingdom, but let's, let's get more specific than that. Not only are we an expanding kingdom, kingdom but we live in a growing community. 
We are part of an expanding uh, kingdom, but we live in a growing community. Okay, so I put this picture up there because I want you to, to look right here where it says 9 through 12. I am a proud graduate of White Plains School. It was not White Plains High School, but White Plains School. You can see they haven't changed the stucco just yet. White Plains School. When I went there, graduate in 2004, this was K-Woe. Don't know how that happens. I'm, that's amazing. All right, it was K through 12. K through 12. In other words, I graduated in a small 2A school with 42 graduates in my senior class. Our school is now a large 4A school. There are, it has an increasing enrollment every day. Now let's set aside community pride for just a second and, and community politics for, for just a second. And let's just be real. They're talking about having an open enrollment. And I, and I know there's challenges and there's questions about that, but let me tell you what that does mean. It means that potentially you could have hundreds of more people driving into this community every single week to be educated where we can have gospel impact, where we can sow the truth of the gospel, where it makes the drive into the White Plains and Iron City community not so far. It makes it normative and regulative. We have an opportunity. Three years ago, they began building houses again. They resumed all the subdivisions. And, and I know, look, I, I am old school White Plains. I grew up here before the subdivision. I remember them starting the subdivisions. And I know if you're a part of the historic part of, of, of White Plains community, it's tough to see the farms turned into I get all of that. But it is also an opportunity for kingdom impact if we will hide ourselves, not behind our prejudices, but behind the cross to see it from the lens of the kingdom as an outpost. That all of this is temporary. And all of this is going to fade away. That what we do with it right now is what matters. We, we have uh, a, a, a very few growing communities in Calhoun County. But the entire county seems to be moving south and east. That we are in one of the few places in our county that is growing in population. Where more people are beginning to live. Oxford has annexed the 431 exit. They're going to be moving this way. Y'all, we ought to stop for a second. And ask what that means for us. 136 years ago, this church was put on this ground. 136 years ago. I go to, to state board meetings, and apparently Iron City is kind of a hip name. And people will be like, man, dude, I love the name of your church. When did you plant it? I said, I didn't plant it. It was started by a group of farmers 136 years ago. Just the name of the old community, right? It's not hip. It's not new. It's just us, man. But God put us here 136 years ago for such a time as this. For such a time as this. They could not have foreseen. They just did what they knew was faithful in and of the time. But God, one generation after another, with a slow growth of the kingdom, has planted us right here in the midst of a growing community. And I'm convinced that if we are a part of an expanding kingdom, living in a growing community, it is incumbent upon us to make it our ambition to be a growing church in a healthy way, in the right way, with substance, not with hype, but by sowing the seed of the gospel with the potency therein. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. By raising us up as laborers... That we would go into the field. Will you burn your boats with us? Will you burn your boats with us? I'm convinced that expansion is not only an idea and an ambition, but is necessary for us to take up our place of kingdom faithfulness right here where we are because of who God has made us to be and where God has placed us to be. I want to say, I want to make one more observation. Not only are we an expanding kingdom, and I apologize, it's hard to see it, I, I did the best I could. Not only are we a part of an expanding kingdom, not only do we live in 
a growing community, but we have been given an increasing influence. And this has not been sought by any of us. And I want you to see this. Okay, so Andrew went, so Iron City is this little blue flag. Okay, that's Iron City. Ten years ago, if you would have come to our church, our ministry footprint looked something like this. That you could have taken that circle and you could have driven from one end of our ministry to the other end of our ministry, the people that participate regularly, and you would have been able to, to drive all the way across it in 30 to 45 minutes. But I want you to see what God has done. I mean, y'all, look at Stacy and Chandler and Riley Jones up here in Pleasant Valley. Like, can we just give them a round of applause? I mean, you people are driving a long way. Y'all are driving a long way. We got people down here in Wedowie, and this is not even completely updated yet. We got more members coming in. This is just representing the membership, not even the full attender, okay? And then you have the number, and these are not the number of people. These are the numbers of households that are members of our churches in this area, and we don't have an inflated role, okay? This is showing you what it looks like. That you, we, we go now from Pleasant Valley through Fruithurst, Ramburn, down into Wedowie, all the way up to Mumford. I mean, we got like the Mumford coaching staff coming here. I mean, Bailey, I, how does that happen? How does that happen? We did not seek these things. We were not going for these things. God has brought it about, y'all. God has taken a community church and is transforming it into a regional church by no work of our own, by no machinations of our own. God is giving us this influence. The Lord is affording more opportunities. I get to be a, a trustee with the State Board of Missions. I'm having, we've had the, each of our staff has had opportunities to be influencers in different areas and influence discipleship at the state level. The Lord is increasing the influence of the state, uh, of, of our church, not by the desires of the church, but I'm convinced by his own sovereign hand, by what he is doing it. But we have to stop for a second and say, are we just going to go through the motions? Are we just going to go through the motions? Are we just going to thank God for the influence and the opportunity and the growing community and pat ourselves on the back? Or are we going to seize the day that God has set in front of us? Paul says it like this. I love the way Paul says it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he's talking about his ministry. And he says this, this is how one should regard us. And he's talking about he and Apollos and the apostles. He says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required, required of stewards that they be found faithful. Do you hear what he's saying? There's nothing special about us. And let me promise you, there's nothing special about us. There's nothing special about me. There's nothing special about our staff or our elders. My goodness, we're all just a bunch of regular old folks, aren't we? But he says, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about how academic I am or not. It's not about how winsome I am. The point that he's making explicitly to the church at Corinth is it doesn't matter how eloquent my speech is or it isn't. It doesn't matter how impressed you are with me as an apostle or you aren't. What matters is, is that I have been entrusted with a responsibility and an obligation with the gospel. And what he has entrusted to me, I will be found a faithful steward of it. That I will not let my limitations put a limitation on my responsibility in the kingdom. I will not let my, my insecurity allow me not to go and to share the gospel, to spread the good news. In other words, what Paul is saying is that I will be found faithful by the generation that follows me. That I will be sure that I take the gospel that has been entrusted to me and I will pay it forward to the generation that is coming after me so that the churches continue to multiply, so that the leaven continues to leaven, so that the seeds continue to be planted. That's the responsibility that we have. If we are a part of an expanding, uh, expanding kingdom and a growing community with an increasing influence, those are the things that God has entrusted to us.
He has entrusted the seed of the gospel to us. And what we have to say is, will we rest on our laurels or will we press on with the gospel to be found faithful in this generation? The next generation depends on it. This morning, we are living in a building that was built by the previous generations. Praise God for them. They couldn't have foreseen it. We are ministering and in in, in, in seeing the increase that God has brought because of the work that they have done, that many of you have done over decades. What will we do with our opportunity? Will we be afraid and insecure? Or will we be confident in Christ and faithful to the gospel? This morning, let's burn our boats. Let's burn our boats. The vision that I want us to cast for our, for our church is I want us to, let's live our lives together. Let, let, let's be close enough to each other to frustrate one another and then move past it and see the gospel overcome it. Let's be disappointed at each other and then let grace, grace make up the difference. Let's spur one another on to, to, to good works. One of the things that God has done, and Alan mentioned this in his interview, is our median age as a congregation is in the early to mid-30s now. Okay, I mentioned that Roger Wilmore, the director of missions at the Calhoun Association, says that we are the youngest church in the association. Can I just cast you a vision? Can I cast you what I believe is a beautiful ambition to all of you that are in a similar place in life as me and younger? Let's grow old together. Let's grow old together, man. Like, let's go through struggles together. Let's suffer together. Let's, let, let's, let's, in a world of non-commitment, in a world in which everybody changes and there's disloyalty abounding, let's commit to one another and sow the gospel together and burn our boats and advance the kingdom with the opportunity that we have. Iron City, let us be, stand before Christ upon his return when this kingdom comes into full bloom and be found faithful. Be found faithful. Let's burn our boats together, church. Let me pray for us. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. -on -one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.